Hello and welcome in to another edition of the Fantasy Football Pod coming at you with our full NFL draft recap on a Monday night following draft weekend. Cody, uh, pretty interesting weekend. I think we expected some fireworks going in. We definitely got them. I don't think it went, uh, you know, full wild, uh, you know, wild situation there. But I think we got we got some pretty interesting moves from teams that we didn't expect uh, to do so. So I think overall, I'm pretty satisfied with draft weekend. It was uh, relatively interesting and unpredictable as usual. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, the draft is really like a, uh, just a complete event every year now. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Obviously it being here in Kansas city, I got to see it in person. So it was, it was wild. Um, yeah. I mean, the picks that were made were pretty cool. I think, I mean, the quarterback run on day three actually made day three pretty interesting there for a little while. So usually day three, most people tune out and I feel like there was even some, some good stuff to catch that day. So all around great weekend for the NFL, great draft weekend. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dig into it. I feel like there's a lot of you know winners, losers, good drafts, bad drafts, and we're going to unpack a lot of that today. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we've got a ton to get to, so let's jump right in. Before we uh, get to the content, I want to introduce our segments just in case you are looking for something in particular. We're going to, we're going to start off reacting to the Lamar Jackson contract. We're going to do winners and losers, uh, both on an individual level. We'll do three each uh, for both of us, and then we'll do one team a winner and a loser uh, for both of us as well. And then we're going to uh, react to all of the fantasy relevant pieces that were drafted, the top five running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks, and uh, just give you our thoughts on uh, where they landed and how it affects the teams that uh, they landed on. And, uh, you know, if we overlap, we will keep those discussions short, but uh, we want to make sure we touch on all of the fantasy relevant options that got drafted. So Cody, to start, Lamar Jackson, right before draft day, signed finally a five-year, $260 million deal, $185 million guaranteed. He did not get his fully guaranteed deal, but he did pretty well here. Basically got Jalen Hurts' contract plus about 5 or 6%, so hard to argue with it. He doesn't have to pay his agent off the top, and uh, he got you know his uh, market-setting deal. He is now the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, once that Jalen Hurts contract came out, you knew that it was going to be, you know, tough sledding to get that fully guaranteed deal for Lamar. So add 5% of it, become the new highest paid guy. It was nice and easy once Jalen Hurts got signed. So glad it got done. Glad that's no longer a topic of discussion. Honestly, all these quarterback contracts that just get delayed and delayed are beyond annoying to have to talk about and keep bringing up. So love to see him get paid. Love to kind of put that story to rest. And, uh, yeah, excited for the Ravens. They're going to be a tough team in the AFC yet again. Yeah, not to completely bury the lead, but we will discuss the Ravens later on in our winners and losers segment on an individual level. But I think if you are a uh, Mark Andrews dynasty owner, you can rest easy. His quarterback is secure for the next five years, and uh, you do not have to worry about that. The other options on the offense can uh, you know, be a little bit more secure as well. But again, we will get to that later, so I don't want to analyze it too much. Let's start off here, Cody, with the winners and losers on the team level. Uh, we'll start with the winners. We'll be positive today. Uh, I think both of us agree that the Eagles are probably the biggest winner from a value standpoint, so we both agreed to lay off of them. Uh, I'll begin with my winner, a little bit under the radar here. I went Tennessee Titans. 
think this is mostly on the back of their first two picks. They only actually made six selections in this draft, but getting Skaronsky at 11 is just a perfect fit for that team and their identity. Uh, they you know, had a poor offensive line last year. That's not really typical for a Vrabel coach team, and uh, he will help stabilize that situation immediately. And then uh, getting Levis at 33 I thought was good value, even though uh, we both agree it probably would have been smarter for them to trade back into the first round uh, to get him and have that fifth-year option. Uh, having him at 33, I think, takes the pressure off of uh, starting in year one. And uh, obviously, I think that he was in the consideration there at 11. So hard to argue with the Levis pick. And then they did add a late round uh, offensive tackle in round six. He was a projected round four pick. His name's Jalen Duncan. Should offer quality depth. So good draft for the Titans. Yeah, I, I agree with you on this one quite a bit. The fact Levis fell all the way out of the first round and they traded up to get him in the second. It was a good move. I had... Like I said, my only fret is I wish they'd get that fifth-year option just because unless you get an elite-tier-level quarterback, it almost always comes into play. Um, so that's just it's always nice to have that in the back pocket in case you're not completely sold on a guy. But, uh, you know, we'll see how that plays out for him. But, yeah, I feel like the Tennessee Titans had a good draft, a very Mike Vrabel-esque draft, a lot of big guys, linemen, you know, left and right. So, um, yeah, love to see it for the Titans. I think that they, they definitely are a team that, you know, they don't need a full, you know, rebuild. They just kind of need to reset a little bit of youth, a little bit of young talent. They'll be kind of right back, you know, competing with Jacksonville for that division. And then, uh, and obviously they also need Levis to kind of, you know, be good also at that second. Round yeah. Provides that, uh, franchise a little more upside long-term shout out also to the Arizona Cardinals. I really liked what they did, uh, trading for futures and, uh, trading back up to get Paris Johnson. I thought they, uh, they did pretty well also. I almost featured them in this segment, so uh, just going to give them a little credit. Yeah, absolutely. I actually heard someone say they didn't like the uh, Paris Johnson, you know, because they traded down to 12, then back up to six. But I thought you I, know, if you have a guy that you like and you feel like he has a high ceiling, which a lot of people thought he was the highest ceiling guy, got to, I mean, got to go up there and get him. Especially you already got the additional first from next year from the Texans. So I mean, giving up that, I think it was only a third to move back up. Wasn't really. It was, uh, yeah, I believe it was actually the 34th pick. I believe it was their, uh, their second round pick, oh, but right. from, uh, you know, the, the haul that they got for moving from three to 12, I thought it was pretty impressive only giving up a second round pick to go from 12 to six, obviously not as big of a jump, but, uh, you know, six spots as opposed to nine. And, uh, the difference in compensation was quite drastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's hop into my winner here. I'm going to go ahead and put the Houston Texans in here. Now, this isn't necessarily that I think they had the best draft. Um, I feel like there were better drafts out there, but for where their franchise is and where it can be heading, I feel like this was a really good reset. They obviously had the Deshaun Watson situation followed up by two years of one-and-done coaches that unjustly slash justly get fired. So they kind of needed a whole franchise reset. I think if the Eagles wouldn't have gotten the absolute values, they got it 9-30. and 30. The Texans steal the show. They're the talk of the town after round one. Uh, obviously, the smoke screen on Stroud worked. I really thought that they were not going to trade him. Now, or draft him, sorry. It makes sense they never traded that second pick because they were always locked in on a quarterback, even though there was some rumors of that happening. And then trading back up, granted, you give it, gave up a decent amount, but you got a new defensive head coach. You add your defensive star player. Again, you get your offensive guy. It's just a full reset for the organization. If I'm a Texans fan, I feel 110% better than when I did week 17 when we beat the Colts or whatever to lose the number one seed. So, granted, I don't think Stroud's like the greatest quarterback in the world. I actually have the opinion I thought they should just 
wait until next year to get a quarterback. Will Anderson may not be the most elite pass rusher. Like this may we may look back on this in three years and be like, hey, those are two. You know, they're okay players, but they aren't home runs that you're hoping to get at that point. But where we sit today, I felt like they they just got a really big refresh. And then they also added some wide receiver talent later on in the draft and just like I said, just a good reset for the franchise. Do I think they had the best draft? No, but from a fan perspective, I felt like if you're a Texans fan, you've got to be feeling so much better today. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly going to be a better team next year uh, because of these picks that they made. I, I really like the Stroud pick at two. I've uh, said on this podcast before that I like him as the uh, the best quarterback prospect in this draft. Uh, you're right, he's not a perfect prospect, but I think he'll be a quality starter in the NFL at the very least, very safe. High floor guy is going to be able to play right away and make this team better. I was not as big of a fan of them moving back up and getting Will Anderson. Nothing against the player, but I don't see a Miles Garrett's Von Miller level impact here. I think he'll be a good pass rusher, maybe not an absolutely elite one. And the haul they gave up to move from 12 to 3 was substantial to say the least. Giving up your first round pick next year when you are almost assuredly going to be in the top 10, maybe even the top five is just not something I believe a rebuilding team should do. I think that pick is going to be worth a hell of a lot more than it is today in a year. Uh, even if you, you know, you have your guy in Stroud, if there's a quarterback on the board, when your pick comes up, we saw what Chicago did with their pick uh, trading it to Carolina. You can get an absolute haul for that really change your franchise. I don't know if Will Anderson is going to single-handedly turn this defense into an above-average unit. So I uh, I did really like the Stroud pick. Uh, I don't really understand the smokescreen aspect of it. I, I mean, good for them. They fooled everybody, but they were always going to get their guy. Bryce Young was going one. So I don't, I don't really know what the smokescreen accomplishes necessarily. Good for them, though. Uh, and then, yeah, the Anderson pick. Nothing against the player. I just I did not like giving up your first run pick next year. Just would not be in the business of doing that if I was the Houston Texans. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it was a lot, and like I said, if we look back on this draft in three years and C.J. Stroud is you know Jared Goff level and Will Anderson's an average pass rusher, you're going to be like, damn, that was a bad draft. Like we should have went Anthony Richardson and Jalen Carter and just went all talent because those guys are insane potentially. So, yeah, I mean, the these guys got to pan out. Obviously, Will Anderson's kind of the big question mark there. Um, I I don't really have a way to defend it because I do agree with you. That's kind of my one fret with their draft. But if for some reason they fell in love with the guy, they feel like it's their guy on defense. We're about to talk about another team that fell in love with the guy that I feel like, you know, it's probably a little bit worse than a defensive lineman at least. Like at least they didn't trade back up and then go for a, you know, a position you don't draft that high normally. So you just got to hope Will Anderson hits the ceiling. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll just parlay that into my loser. That is the Detroit Lions. I think this is the kind of consensus loser of the draft as far as uh, value is concerned, especially in the first round. I think they kind of saved themselves uh, on day two a little bit. We'll get to that. But yeah, their first two picks in the first round, didn't like them. Uh, There wasn't that many in the industry that did. Jameer Gibbs at 112 is just completely indefensible. Um, You know, taking a running back this high is already sketchy territory, but to do it and reach on the player and the prospect in general is just not something a good organization does in general. I think he, uh, especially because they had the 18th pick in the draft, that's what makes this really head scratching. I think you could have taken whoever, you know, whoever was on the board of 12 that you like that had uh, a little bit of a higher 
ceiling, whether it was a defensive player or a tackle or whatever. Um, you could have taken that player at 12 and Gibbs at 18 and then traded back into the first round to get Campbell because they had two early second round picks. I, I feel like that could have been an easy way to go about it, but uh, Gibbs at 12, I just don't understand. Do you, you, how do you feel about Gibbs at 12? Are you, uh, are you in my, my camp here or uh, what, what's your opinion on it? Yeah. And we'll get into my loser because it kind of has the same, you know, background with drafting a running back in the first round, but so here's my thing with Gibbs is they obviously knew that they were going to have to upgrade at the running back position. They got, you know, Jamal Williams is out. You have David Montgomery. So I feel like this pick is kind of telling you like, hey, we, we got David Montgomery to kind of fill in a role, but we don't think he can come in and kind of take over as the, the only guy back there. They obviously did not want any more of DeAndre Swift. He, I, they didn't like him last year. He can't stay healthy. He probably doesn't fit the kind of philosophy Dan Campbell wants to run up in Detroit. So, I mean, he got out of there. He went to a good team. So I felt like they were kind of locked in on a position. And it's very Raiders-esque to me when you take someone that's just at such bad value. The Raiders are always taking people that it seems like people are always saying, you could have got him in the second. You could have traded down and got him at the end of the first. Now, the Lions came out. They said there's no way they were getting Gibbs at 18. They saw that someone between 12 and 17 was going to take him. There's, I don't know how you have that knowledge. I mean, no way. again, Bijan was the one running back. If you were going to take a first rounder that was, you know, before 28, you would do it. Uh, the, any of the other ones, I really did not see this coming. So I, I don't like it at all, but just because of the value on it, I would guess, like I said, the Lions were just honed in on upgrading at that position. Yeah, so. I mean, if you're really hell-bent on taking a running back, just stick at six and take Bijan. At least at least Bijan <laughs> right. is a top five <laughs> overall player in this draft by most people's grades. So I, it is a reach to take a running back at six, even if he's the best player in the class. But many people have Bijan in their top five graded players in the draft class. So if you take him at six... It's a bit of a luxury pick. This was the Rams' first-round pick. It wasn't even your first-round pick. So, you know, you could argue that, hey, it's a cherry on the top of an already good offense. Just take the elite running back prospect. But to both reach and take a, you know, a a non-priority position at 12 is just not something I would have done. And then at 18, it's kind of a similar situation. Uh, I don't mind this one quite as much because it was a really big need for them. They needed a middle linebacker, but Jack Campbell was, uh, you know, graded out to be a mid, mid to late second round pick by most people. So 18 is quite a reach and uh, middle linebacker is just not a position that I would prioritize in the first round very often. Those are guys that you should be able to find later in the draft. Um, you know, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but the, plenty of the you know elite middle linebackers in, uh, in the NFL are not necessarily even top half of the first round picks. So this is a position you should be able to find in the second or third round. And uh, yeah, Campbell at 18 is just a reach. So like I said, the, the Lions did save themselves a bit on day two. So they 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 aren't a complete loser. Sam Laporta, a uh, good tight end prospect, should be a good replacement for Hawkinson. Brian Branch, I really liked that pick a lot. He was a good uh, blend of value and need for them. He's a safety out of Alabama at 45. And then uh, Hendon Hooker, they got in the early third round. Could be a uh, long-term answer to the quarterback position. So Day two was better, but day one was uh, not great. Yep, absolutely. They took both positions, and if you go around the league, a lot of teams, you know, get them in the later rounds, yep. mid the later exactly. rounds. Exactly. You know, running back and linebacker. So, and when you look at the elite ones, like how many elite running backs are there? Like one Christian McCaffrey that you just give him the ball and you feel like he can do anything from anywhere. You know, elite linebackers maybe a couple. So it's just a hard position to nail and. 
giving you know using that kind of draft capital is kind of risky. Honestly, I would I would have been happy if they took Bijan at six because, like you said, it's just the rate. It's an a- extra pick for you. You're clearly upgrading a position quite a bit. Um, yeah, this the but adding Gibbs at twelve is a little bit more. Not, not as understanding. Yeah, and I uh, let's jump into the fact. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I mentioned sorry. this earlier, but they they didn't get a ton moving from twelve to uh, six to twelve either. This that was the Cardinals yeah. trade. They got the thirty fourth pick in the draft for moving down six spots in the upper half of the first round, which I think I think you should get more than that. So uh, yeah, just yeah. all around, not a great day on uh, day one for the Lions. Absolutely, and we'll we'll keep this one a little bit shorter because we don't want to keep bashing on these first round running backs. But I have the Atlanta Falcons for a lot of the same reasons, taking a first round running back is always a little risky. Now, Bijan, he was, you know, like you said, a top five player in most people's drafts. It's just, you know, how much value do you have in the running back position? Obviously the Atlanta Falcons have a lot of value in that position, taking them this high. My issue with the Atlanta Falcons taking him this high is your defense is terrible. They had one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. You had Jalen Carter out there that you could have got. He would have instantly made your defensive line better. Probably would have instantly came in and been your best defensive lineman. So I, I think that's egregious. Now, on the offensive side, you averaged 4.9 yards per carry. Had Tyler Algier really coming into his own at the end of last season. You put a complete stop to that. Your defense didn't get any better. My other issue was you took an offensive lineman in the second round, which I always love taking high-end offensive linemen. I'm never going to say that's a bad thing, but – not drafting any defense to the third round is just criminal at this point. Defense should have been their number one priority in this draft. And if you don't want Jalen Carter because of the issues what, or whatsoever, why don't you trade down? You know, in last year's draft or two years ago, they take Kyle Pitts at eight. Last year, they take Drake London. This year, they take Bijan. Like you're just adding all this first round offensive talent. Maybe take a couple trade, you know, trade down a couple of those picks next time instead. Build some more, you know, some more second round picks, something like that, help that defense a little bit. It's just, I don't see them being able to make that jump from seven and 10 to a 10 win team fighting for the playoffs in the NFC just because they added Bijan Robinson. Yeah, I think the only reason they might be able to compete is because of their horrendous division that they're in. It division, says nothing yeah, about exactly. them as a team, but yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Bijan. Great player, but this this roster has a ton of holes that uh, needed filling, and running back was not one of them. Like you said, they were fourth best in the NFL at 4.9 yards per carry. How much better can that really get? Great. If you get to first overall, uh, you're adding half a yard per carry, but is that going to you know rocket you into the top half of the league? I don't think so. And uh, running backs in this situation, you know, Bijan does not have the shelf life that, say, a good defensive end or a good corner does. That's just how the running back position works. By the time he's 27, 28, he's going to be on the uh, the downtrend here. And that might be when the Atlanta Falcons are finally ready to compete. So uh, I think it makes a lot more sense for a team like Detroit or a team like the Eagles to reach on a running back early like Bijan because they already have the roster in place to support him. But in this situation, you're probably looking at a 7-10, and 8-9 and team. Uh, I think for Bijan, it's great fantasy-wise. We'll get to that later, but... Um, it's not, yeah, nothing on the players. It's just, uh, just the philosophy from a football perspective on our end. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's jump to the winners and losers on the individual level. Um, this is both, uh, rookies that are being drafted here, uh, and just established veterans. We just kind of chose, uh, three guys, each of us that we thought, uh, were both winners and losers. We'll start again with the winners. We're positive people on this podcast. Uh, my first guy is Damian Pierce running back Houston. 
he uh, he won all around here. Uh, it was a great day for Damian Pierce dynasty managers. Not only did Houston not invest in another running back anywhere in the draft, but they unexpectedly took C.J. Stroud, should vastly improve the offense. I think any downtick in volume Pierce will see from the addition of Devin Singletary should be easily offset by the improvement of the team and just Damian Pierce as a player. So huge win for Damian Pierce. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the new coaching staff coming in, you never know how they're going to feel about those kind of positions. They may have a guy in the draft that they you know particularly like or a running style they particularly like. So that's awesome for him. My first winner is going to be Zay Flowers, the wide receiver for Baltimore. If you follow us on socials, we put out some nice graphics. Zay Flowers, like I said, he's, he's my wide receiver one of these rookies coming out, and I think I'm going to defend it for – as long as I can. Um, honestly, there's little to no chance OBJ can stay healthy for a full year. I believe he's torn his ACL twice, once before the Rams and then once, obviously, in the Super Bowl. Uh, and then you can't say the team has a ton of confidence in Rashad Bateman. They're investing heavy at the wide receiver position. So if OBJ struggles with an injury, Rashad Bateman is you know second to Flowers. I think Flowers can develop into that first-year guy that has, you know, every week startability, you know, kind of what a Garrett Wilson became, kind of what a um, uh, Chris Olave was to start last season. Like, Zay Flowers is the guy that I see with the – he can make an immediate impact to your fantasy team. Yeah, 100%. I'm a big fan of the player. Uh, I like uh, route runners and just, just quickness out of the wide receiver position rather than, uh, you know, necessarily size and – uh, just body composition. But when you say wide receiver one, do you mean redraft or is that dynasty? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely dynasty. Rookie okay. of the rookies coming out. Like if I was sitting there and I, okay. you know, wide receiver that's was a, in my a position of, of need. Uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that most people are still going to put Quentin Johnson up there or JSN. Yeah, I would say now, JSN. Long, long-term ceiling, yeah, JSN probably is up there. My issue is he's sitting behind two really good uh wide receivers. We also don't know what's going on with that quarterback position. We'll I mean, get to the Seahawks. Gino was amazing. Gino was amazing for two guys. Yeah. We'll see what he looks like with three, but we, we can get into that in a second. Right. Let's go ahead and jump into your second guy. My second guy is Tony Pollard running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, similar situation to Damian Pierce. They did not invest in the running back position at all in this draft other than uh, the sixth-round rookie, Deuce Vaughn, but he is a 5'5", 180-pounder. Certainly does not profile as a guy that is going to uh, you know, take a ton of carries off of Pollard's workload. Uh, I think this cements him as a you know, late-round one pick, early-round two pick, as long as the medicals come back okay. Uh, again, huge win for Pollard. I think this is a popular destination for a possible Bijan slide or a Zach Charbonnet in the second round. So a uh, big win for Pollard here. Yeah, absolutely. Deuce Vaughn could come in and run the Tony Pollard role from like two to three years ago. Exactly. He was really just getting a very, very small percentage of the workload. But yeah, five five one eighty. You you got to be you got to be tough to be able to survive in the NFL. But his dad is a coach on the team. I don't know yeah, if anyone cool has moment. not seen the draft video. That was a sweet moment. Check it out. I'm sure you have if you're listening to this podcast because you got to be pretty dialed into the NFL to be <laughs> yeah. listening to us right now. In April. Right? But if you have not, just look up Deuce Vaughn draft actually. video. It's worth the watch for sure. Uh, number two, DeAndre Swift. As I mentioned earlier, he got traded from the Detroit Lions to the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, his stock, I mean, if he was a stock, his chart this weekend, I mean, would have plummeted, <laughs> would have shot back no up. Joke. Like, I mean, it would have just been a roller coaster. Um, for me, I mean, obviously his ceiling is going to be a little bit higher than it would have been in Detroit with a three-headed monster 
ultimately, do I think he has that high of a ceiling in Philadelphia? A little bit of mixed emotions there. I think that they also have some established running backs coming back that he'll have to split some time with. Um, you know, but late if he ends up falling to a late round, I think he could be a late round value. He could still catch the ball out of the backfield pretty well. And he was still explosive towards the end of last year when he was getting healthy. He just was not the fit for the Lions, it seemed like. Yeah, I don't really understand why I love him as a player. Uh, maybe the Lions just do not believe he can stay healthy, but I think a lot of the time in the NFL, um, you know, good health comes down to luck more than it does how you, you know, train in the offseason. DeAndre Swift uh, has been an elite player when he's been on the field. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are taking a bet on either Rashad Penny or DeAndre Swift staying healthy, and uh, if they do, I think one or even both of them could be fantastic fantasy assets. This is a obviously a run-first uh, team. They have a great offensive line, a running quarterback that helps open up, open up lanes for the running backs in this offense, and uh, Miles Sanders going out the door, so a ton of production to fill, so... Uh, could not have been a better landing spot for DeAndre Swift after the Gibbs news kind of tanked his value, like you said. Uh, I, this is best best case scenario for him after uh, after that happened, in my opinion. For sure. And uh, we will get to uh, my third and final winner. That is Jameer Gibbs of the Detroit Lions. Not only does he win because uh, DeAndre Swift got traded, kind of opens things up a little bit for them, but. Uh, the draft capital itself would have rocketed him up draft boards. Uh, running backs that get drafted this high are very, very often outperforming their ADP. Uh, and he also lands in a great situation. So it's twofold here. Detroit has a great offensive line. We know that. They are a run-first team. Dan Campbell is their head coach. He of the ankle-biting. Uh, so investing at a running back at 112 means he's going to be heavily involved in your offense. It's as simple as that. Golf's kind of a statue back there too. So he throws a lot to his running backs. It's uh, just a really good situation for Jameer Gibbs. He's going to produce very well uh, in year one and probably in the years to come. Don't love the pick, but uh, he, for him, it's, it's fantastic. He, he shot up draft boards for sure. Yeah. He should definitely be a guy that you are looking at in your fantasy drafts this year. Oh yeah. hundred like percent pointed out. They almost always outperform their ADP. Give me a round. And, um, uh, Jameer Gibbs. Let me think. Uh, I don't know. Is round. I'm going to say round four. I would imagine. Okay. That was what I was thinking. Like right at the beginning of the running back dead zone where you kind of got to start calling your shots on some guys. Yeah. Bump I think, up and I think that's too. where I'd take them. Yeah. Great pass yeah, yeah, especially yeah, especially in PPR, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I mean, last year they had Jamal Williams; he's out the door. I mean, David Montgomery isn't going to come in and immediately just fill that Jamal Williams role and take all the goal line work. You'd imagine Gibbs gets some of that. He is an aggressive runner. Where I feel like that's probably where Swift was lacking a little bit. If you watch a lot of his goal line opportunities last year, it's a lot of spin moves on the goal line, a lot of like trying to make people miss instead of just hammering it in, which is all Jamal Williams did last year. So. I feel like Jameer Gibbs could probably fill into more of a full RB role where David Montgomery is more complimentary to him if he uh, pans out here early. Yeah, if they're, they're taking him at 112, they have a plan to use him and uh, use him quite a bit. So I think it's just as simple as that, and it's a, it's a good team to boot. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's stay positive for one more guy before we get negative out here. So I'm going to go ahead and give Jordan, Jordan Love some love, although I still don't know if he can actually play NFL Interesting football call. or not. Yeah, I mean, this is more or less just wanting to give the Packers a shout-out for just going all in on offensive talent on that second day. Uh, two tight ends, a pretty a pretty decent wide receiver. I know there was some talk that there were some other wide receivers out there when they took Jalen Reed, but 
I mean, these teams fall in love with their guys. Obviously, with an offensive head coach, he must probably have been the one to, you know, pull the trigger on which wide receiver they were taking. So, they got Christian Watson, um, got Romeo Dobbs, obviously. So, they have some young offensive talent. Jordan Love should be able to come in. You still have Aaron Jones. You still have A.J. Dillon. And, I mean, if they just run the ball and he's an average quarterback, they should have be competing for the division still. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a big loss, but if their defense gets a little bit better – and they have their offensive line and running game solid. I mean, if Jordan loves average, they're going to be a decent team. So I just I applaud the Packers for going all in on offense for their young quarterback. Yeah, Jaden Reed, like you said, a little bit more of a gadget player, but should help uh, on the, the edges of the roster. Maybe not uh, an option himself, but add him to Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and the two tight ends that they drafted, and it should add up to a pretty solid supporting cast for Jordan Love uh, to grow with these next couple of years, they're all pretty young too. Watson, Dobbs, both second-year guys. Reed, obviously, and the two tight ends are first-year guys. So, should be uh, maybe maybe a year or two down the line here for Jordan Love, but uh, could be a pretty good situation in a couple of years. Yeah, I agree with you. All righty, let's get negative here, Cody. This is where I thrive. <laughs> uh, my first and. This is actually a two-parter here. My first loser is Zach Charbonnet and J- uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. They both went to Seattle a bit unexpectedly. I think uh, the Smith and Jigba pick was mostly just because he slid a little bit, and it was probably just too good value uh, for the Seahawks to pass up at that point. But uh, this one's pretty simple. Jackson Smith and Jigba is now the third wide receiver on a Seattle offense that was a little bit more pass-heavy last year, but still is middle of the pack when it comes to pass rate. So really hard to see him making a year one impact without an injury to either Metcalf or Lockett. I think long-term he should still be fine, but like you said earlier, quarterback position long-term, not settled. And uh, yeah, he just has a lot of competition, especially in year one and two. Uh, I don't believe Lockett or Metcalf are going anywhere just yet. Zach Charbonnet, very similar. He has uh, a round two running back that was fantastic last year to compete with, and um, they both possess very similar skill sets. I just find Zach Charbonnet to be slightly less athletic, so uh, I don't see how he makes a huge year one contribution. We've seen this time and again, uh, you know, a fantastic round two running back, uh, say Brees Hall last year. Michael Carter gets the starting job off the off the off the bat there, even though he was a round four pick the year before. So this this situation's only accentuated because uh, Ken Walker was actually a fantastic young running back. So I, I don't see how Zach Charbonnet is going to evolve into a consistent fantasy starter without either a Ken Walker trade or injury. Whew, a Ken Walker trade would be wild. He was so good for them last year. That yeah, I just don't understand the pick at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I I mean, I had to do a double take. I What was I doing Friday? I think whenever they were going through that part of the draft, they may have been at dinner or something like that. I was like, really? Seattle took another running back? That just, it, it did not make any sense. Oh, and then, yeah. um, very sad. On the JSN side of things, like we highlighted quite a bit last year towards the end of the season that Seattle's big benefit for wide receivers in fantasy was that there was only two of them. And when you had only two wide receivers, really only two – consistent passing targets both can be elite for fantasy now you throw jsn in there and i don't think jsn is going to be competing necessarily for every target like dk and tyler lockett will be but he takes away three to four touchdowns takes away 450 500 yards you know cut each and half from both guys both those guys go from borderline wide receiver ones to mid to low level wide receiver twos 
And then you have JSN, who's not even a playable fantasy asset because he's inconsistent. It's just, it could cause a very, very, very bad situation for fantasy owners in Seattle. Whereas last year, you could not have been happier with the way that the wide receiver room played out. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty much as easy as this. Uh, every fantasy asset in Seattle lost here except Geno Smith. So if you have Geno Smith in a yeah. dynasty league and he's your backup quarterback or something, you can be happy about that. But uh, other than that, it was a bad day for uh, fantasy owners in the Seattle realm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my losers. I kept, I'm going to keep these a little bit shorter. I uh, did not come up with the best losers, in my opinion, but I'm going to start with Rashad Bateman. This is very low-hanging fruit. Obviously, I gave Zay Flowers his flowers earlier. The back end of that uh-huh, is nice. you got Rashad Bateman. Ah, thank you. You got Rashad <laughs> Bateman coming in. You got. I gave Jordan Love some love. I gave Zay Flowers some flowers. There you go. All right, there's today. the tagline. Uh, yeah, Rashad Bateman. Um Again, just you investing too much money at that position, too much, I mean, uh, draft capital at that position. Whenever, you know, Brown was traded last year, everyone just thought Bateman was going to be that guy for for Baltimore. And it just feels like Baltimore no longer feels like that's going to be the case. Yeah, uh, I think this is uh, definitely an indictment uh, from the Ravens organization about how they, uh, you know, they trust Bateman to be their number one, and it doesn't seem like they do. Obviously, bringing in Beckham and Flowers uh, is a pretty significant investment in that position. So, going to be a crowded room for Bateman to contend with on a team that does not throw a ton of passes, as we know with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. So, good call there. My second loser is, uh, it's a tough one for me to swallow. This has been my boy since pre-draft last year. Uh, I think on one of our first podcasts, I highlighted Tyler Algier just because I like the player and the fit here with the Falcons, but he is obviously a giant loser here with Bijan coming to town. Uh, I think this may be a similar situation to the Jets last year with Michael Carter, Algier, you know, you could see him getting some work out of the jump, maybe the first three or four weeks. He's splitting carries with Bijan, but uh, the draft capital and the talent will take over. Tyler Regier is a handcuff moving forward, especially in dynasty formats. So RIP to his uh, fantasy value. If you got him in, uh, you know, the late rounds of your dynasty league, it's it's tough, but he is definitely um, pretty much, uh, you know, non- non-existent for fantasy value moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Ten years from now when we're doing this full time and this is the only thing we have to focus on, we are going to talk about the the long term career of Tyler Algier oh. and what could have been. Because I mean, I gotta give you the flowers on this one. I could not <laughs> believe whenever you threw his name out there last year and just the uh, the tagline he was through all of last Dang, season dude. and then what he became. I mean, he became a rusher and he has said Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's cool. It's one of those like, oh, yeah, I knew this guy was going to be this guy even before anyone else did. Like that was one of those kind of moments. So kind of sucks that one's kind of getting put to bed by Bijan pretty quickly. Yeah. And again, just stupid drafting by the Falcons. But oh, it is what it is. Maybe Bijan has a little rookie injury. Tyler Algier comes back or you never know. I mean, honestly, I thought he was a pretty talented running back. I wouldn't yeah, I like some team sniff around and try to add him. So could be some hope out there. He's for a handcuff. For now his fantasy value is yeah, at a handcuff. Um, my number two loser, keep it easy. I'm going to go the Chargers wide receivers. And then I'm also going to throw TJ Hawkinson in there because there was some first-round wide receiver talent that got thrown around um, right around the same time Zay Flowers, JSM got drafted. You had Jordan Addison going to the Vikings. Last year it seemed like TJ clearly became the number two receiving option. Jordan Addison's going to pose a threat to that. He mm-hmm. should immediately come in and be better than Adam Thielen was last year. Um, and then obviously in 
Los Angeles. You have Quentin Johnson coming in. I think he's going to pose more of a threat to Mike Williams, like Nick was talking about before the podcast. But guys like Josh Palmer and even Keenan Allen, I mean, it's going to hurt them a little bit if they want to get him involved right away. Yeah, definitely muddies the water waters a bit for the Chargers wide receiver room. Just uh, another mouth to feed. I think uh, Josh Palmer, the biggest loser because he probably won't see the field, but uh, Mike Williams certainly the other uh, loser alongside him, just because Quentin Johnston occupies a similar space on the field uh, that Mike Williams does. So maybe just a bit of a hedge on Mike Williams not staying healthy throughout his career on the Chargers side, and then TJ. Good hedge. Yeah, it it really is. You, you, at some point, you have to. Uh, you know, just read the writing on the wall to a degree. Um, and then, yeah, TJ Hawkinson, another good call there. Uh, I think he is still going to be a valuable fantasy asset, but his his elite upside that we could have seen if he was the number two target in this offense, or at least the clear number two target in this offense, is probably not there anymore with Addison coming in. So slight disappointment for TJ Hawkinson owners as well. Uh, my last loser is another tight end. That is Dawson Knox from the Buffalo Bills. I debated putting him on here because he was, you know, he's a, a fringe top 10 type of fantasy guy anyway at the tight end position, but his value is completely gone with uh, Dalton Kincaid coming to town. Uh, unlike most rookie tight ends that struggle to adapt to the NFL, Dalton Kincaid is basically a wide receiver. He uh, does not play in line uh, very often, at least didn't in college, and I don't imagine he will on the Buffalo Bills. So Knox could could still see some snaps as a blocker, but uh, Kincaid will be taking over most of the target share in the tight end room, especially because he was a first-round pick. So uh, if you have Knox in a dynasty league, you need to find another option. Yep, absolutely. Also, I'll throw Gabe Davis in there. I mean, there's a a low, but there is a chance that Dalton Kincaid comes in and becomes the second passing option on this There's team. a chance. I, uh, I do think it was a win for Davis that they didn't don't. draft a wide receiver to replace him to a degree. Though I think because I th- so I yeah. think Davis will still be on the field. So in that sense, he's a winner. But you're right. Uh, I could eat into his target share a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, I don't want to hype a rookie tight end. As most fantasy players know, rookie tight ends almost never pay out. They are never really worth where you end up drafting them. So I'm not saying go get Dalton Kincaid. I just think not only is Dawson Knox a loser, there is a chance if he does pop in year one, Gabe Davis, you know, becomes less of a less of an asset. So uh, let's jump into the third loser. I just think we could just label the whole NFC, but we'll just, I need you to we'll explain just say this the one NFC East. Uh, I mean, how are you going to let the Eagles just keep on getting better, man? I mean, we, <laughs> we agreed else, not to right. give them their flowers their flowers earlier, but, I mean, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith in the first round is just absolutely insane to me at where they were drafting. And, um, no, I mean, they didn't have any way of just saying this. I just – I wanted to give the Eagles their flowers. We agreed yeah. not to throw them up in the earlier segment. They had such a crazy good draft. They did. They, the NFC East, gotta got to be concerned if you're any of those teams. Not that your team isn't good because a lot of them had good drafts actually in that division, but I just don't know how the Eagles come come backwards at all when you keep adding talent like that. Yeah, their defense is going to be scary, and uh, if they can keep the uh, the – the core of the offense together as well. They're going to be a, a very good team for the next couple of years. Um, yeah, hard to hard to argue with that. The the Philadelphia Eagles got a lot better, even though they uh, you know got to the Super Bowl last year. Usually, you see those teams kind of take a step back, but might not be the case for the Eagles. All right, guys, last segment here. We're going to touch on the uh, the rookie landing spots that we didn't get to with our winners and losers there. So uh, let's go ahead and start with the quarterbacks. Bryce Young going 101 to the Carolina Panthers. Cody, I don't know how you feel about this one, but I actually like this. 
for Young. I think um, this is not the barren roster you'd expect out of a team picking 101. Obviously, Carolina was at 9 and traded up. So they have a pretty strong old line. They brought in some veteran talent at the receiver position. Uh, I'm not going to call the supporting cast elite by any means, but it is solid and professional. So I think Bryce Young has got a chance here to be you know, maybe a back-end starter even this year because of his running ability. And, um, you know, the Carolina Panthers will definitely just hand over the keys to him as far as the offense is concerned. So I think this is a pretty solid landing spot uh, as far as quarterbacks getting drafted 101 goes. Yeah, absolutely. And they did add Jonathan Mingo, I believe, in the second round, who is a pretty talented wide receiver as well. Yeah, good so, call. you know, they, they did add, add on to that offense, which I liked quite a bit, so – yeah, I don't mind this for Bryce Young. My only long-term concern with him is just the Tua situation. Is just if is he small enough where he is going to get slung down to the ground, potential injury issues, stuff like that. Um, if you're in a dynasty like Superflex and you need a, a quarterback to play right away, I think he's the one that I'm taking Absolutely. out of the three that you would consider. Yep. But um, you know, if you are kind of set at the quarterback position and you maybe want to go a little bit more higher ceiling, I think there's other picks out there you could take in fantasy drafts. Well said there, Cody. I could not agree more. Uh, we'll see how it plays out for Bryce Young. Hopefully he can stay healthy, but uh, not the worst situation in the world uh, for him entering the Panthers roster there. C.J. Stroud, a little bit of the other end of the spectrum here uh, with the Houston Texans. This is uh, more of the type of roster you would expect getting drafted second overall. Not the best outcome for him. I think there were a lot of other, uh, obviously the, the the talk before the draft was that Houston was not interested in Stroud. So we were speculating on other teams moving up to go get him. I think that would have been a lot better for him, at least in year one, because those teams, uh, you know, in the middle of the, the first round would have had better rosters uh, for him to come into here. But at the very least, he will get the keys to the, uh, the car here. Uh, but the lack of weapons is pretty stark. Uh, I, I don't have great optimism in year one or maybe even in year two. It might take a little bit for him to get going for fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say from a dynasty perspective, I mean, you're drafting him because if you're in a super flex, I mean, he's going to be one of those top five picks in that draft and you just got to get a quarterback. But you're probably looking at three years out unless they can find some ways to add some wide receiver talent around him quickly. Um, they did draft a couple in the later rounds, but – you know, those guys don't seem to work out quite as often as the guys you're drafting right. early. So I, I don't mind it long-term. Like I said, I feel like Houston's on the up and up. They're starting to move in the right direction. But from a fantasy perspective, don't necessarily love C.J. Stroud in Houston right now. Yeah, not the prolific runner you would like out of a, a rookie quarterback in this situation either. Probably won't save him self fantasy wise with you know five six hundred yards on the ground he is a capable runner but i would expect him to be more of a uh you know think joe burrow pre-injury aaron Rodgers early in his career uh mobile pat mahomes even uh maybe not even that mobile but i'd say able to pick up the occasional first down but you're looking at two to three hundred yards on the ground so he's going to need to do it through the air and i'm not sure he has the weapons to uh to get to a starter level consideration in fantasy this year um, Anthony Richardson is the most polarizing player, both fantasy and in real NFL terms, in my opinion. Uh, I think this one is just all about what you believe in him. I don't love the landing spot in Indianapolis. I think the roster is pretty barren other than Jonathan Taylor, who should help obviously in the run game, which is going to be a big part of Richardson's game as well. But, uh, they had a below average O line last year. They have a below average wide receiver core. 
So I'm I'm not in love with Richardson as a player either. I might be uh, you know I might be putting a wet blanket on him. Do you have any anything positive to say on Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I mean the dude's just an absolute freak athlete. Yes, um, and I mean I don't know I. I like honestly, like if you put set personality aside, because I think that's what it ultimately made where these guys went happen. But like quarterback wise, like I'd rather have a guy like Will Levis, like just a guy that I feel I could sit in the pocket and sling the ball from anywhere. Now, he, Andy Richardson has an insane arm; he has insane mobility. It's just like because Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes end up working out, like the majority of these guys never do, and the majority of these guys are spent on second, third round picks, like. The 104 for, I mean, an absolute project. And it, he may run his way to success until he learns how to throw the football, but he is still an absolute project. Just is baffling to me. Now, from a dynasty perspective, if you want the ultimate, you know, highest ceiling possible, this is the guy you draft. But long term, I, I just don't think that – I don't think it's going to pan out, and I don't – I, I – and it has nothing to do with the guy. It's just I want a quarterback that has played in a quarter in a system where quarterback is needed. Like this is kind of the Trey Lance situation. There's not a lot of games played. It's a very running style quarterback. Just I have a lot of concerns about this pick. Yeah, I think in uh in a one quarterback league in Dynasty, I'd probably still take Richardson one on one just for his elite upside and the fact that uh quarterback's a bit replaceable in a one quarterback situation. But sure. uh beyond that, yeah, I'm not too bullish on Richardson as a player. I think the odds that he hits his ceiling are, you know, between ten and fifteen percent if I was going to put a number on it. So not very likely. And uh yeah, what he has shown us on tape so far at Florida is not very encouraging. It's a lot of very good, and then even more very bad. So Indianapolis is going to have yeah. to get that out of him. I'm not sure. Do you think he will start most of the games this year? Most guys that uh, are picked at 104 do, but he is just so raw, and they have Gardner Minshew on the roster, so I could see them maybe even redshirting him. Uh, how do you see that playing out? Um, I think a redshirt – well, actually, I'm gonna, I, I heard something today, and it did kind of change my perspective on this a little bit. Similar to the Trey Lance, this is I. This is similar to the Trey Lance situation Very. for me, except for Trey Lance would have had to have started on a playoff level team. Like he would have had to have come in, and yeah, those would have been true. the expectation set for him. Anthony Richardson could come in, play seventeen games this year, and if they go two and fifteen, it's like, hey, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We knew what this was going to be. He got seventeen games of just. NFL football that we can now progress off of. Right. And I think I kind of lean that way, actually. Get him on the field and get him playing so that way in two years, after you're able to build a team around him, he has 25, 30 NFL games on, you know, under his belt. And it's not as much of a shock, whereas Trey Lance kind of looked like the NFL was just way too fast for him this year. In the in the game and a half he played or two, whatever it ended up being. Yeah, 100%. I, I actually agree with you. I think you convinced me there at the end. Richardson really does need reps. Uh, that is one of the most important things. And like you said, Indianapolis, if they're being real with themselves, they, they probably know they're not competing for a division title or a playoff run this year. So you might as well just let Richardson, uh, you know, have his growing pains on the NFL field and uh, look to the future there if you are the Colts. Uh, Will Levis was the next quarterback off the board. Surprisingly fell to round two, pick 33 for the Tennessee Titans. Um, I think the fact that he fell to round two is not great for his NFL prospects in general. That usually 
you know, says something about what the NFL thinks about you. But I think the landing spot is fine. Good coaching staff, good organization. Levis is probably going to sit a year with Tannehill in the building. So um, this may be more for future years as far as what we think about him for fantasy. But um, if he was going to fall into the second round, I think Tennessee is a pretty good landing spot. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of talk of Tennessee, you know, trying to move up in this year's draft to get a quarterback. Obviously, that guy was not Will Levis because they would have just taken him at 11. So I'm kind of curious on who their who the apple of their eye actually was in this year's draft. But, you know, they end up with Will Levis. I think, I mean, hopefully, like, it's, it's, I hate to, like, I hate this part of the draft because when people fall like this, you just get to hear all the bad stories about them and why he fell and stuff like that, which isn't ultimately fair. I mean, the guy may have some character traits that a lot of people don't love, but at the same time, like, yeah, it just sucks to hear all the kind of negative stuff come out. So if this is a humbling experience for him, you can take this and kind of correct some of that character issue. I still think he has a great arm. I think that he can be an NFL-level quarterback. He has a fast enough release. It's just, you know, if the character is going to be a problem, that almost never works out at the quarterback position. So I think that's the number one thing he has to fix in this first year is be a, you know, like, like Vrabel said when he called him, be a good teammate and just come up, show up every day and, and get better. And if he does that, I feel like he can end up having a good career. It's just you got to get past the character stuff first. Yeah, 100%. Hopefully Will Levis can figure that out, but he will probably have a year to develop behind Ryan Tannehill unless Tennessee falls out of the playoff picture. Then maybe he becomes the starter in the second half of the year. Uh, we'll have to see. Hendon Hooker is the last quarterback we're going to talk about. Round three pick, uh, 68th overall to the Detroit Lions. This reminds me a ton of Malik Willis last year. Uh, I think Malik Willis got pushed up more because of the lack of quarterback talent. So maybe a slightly different in that respect because there was plenty of quarterback talent in this draft. But uh, they both fell into round three when they were both expected to be you know, late round one picks going into the draft. And uh, that definitely muddies the waters for his NFL future. Does not uh, bode well that he fell that far. Uh, NFL teams are usually pretty smart when drafting quarterbacks. So it says a lot about you if you fall to round three. But... If he was to fall to round three, I think the landing spot is fantastic. Detroit is basically an ideal landing spot in every situation for a rookie quarterback because they have a great young roster, they have tons of talent, a great O-line, and a solid but beatable starter ahead of him. If he can't beat out Jared Goff in two years, he was not going to be a great NFL starter anyway. So uh, I think if you are Hendon Hooker, uh, you know, you're disappointed you went in round three, but you have to be pretty thrilled where you uh, where you ended up going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would say I'm higher on Jared Goff than the normal person. I think he's a pretty good NFL quarterback, probably just a little bit below there. Kirk Cousins. But I think he could move up into that Kirk Cousins tier just another year with Detroit if they get into the playoffs, compete for the division, stuff like that. Like I'd, I'd consider them pretty similar players in the NFL. So I think he does have an opportunity to beat him out in a couple of years. And if you can't beat out Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins level quarterbacks, then you're right. You're not an NFL level quarterback. So I actually saw a lot of hate for this pick from Detroit. A lot of people saying that they should have just kept building and that, you know, the reach on running back in the first round obviously didn't help their whole draft. But for my, me, I mean, if they get – not sorry, Malik Willis. If they get uh, Hendon Hooker in the third, two years from now they can move on from Jared Goff and he becomes their starter and he's better than Jared Goff was, Detroit could be dangerous in a couple of years. They obviously have some stuff they still got to figure out, but they just keep building good stuff. I think they're making pretty solid football moves. Obviously, the running backs never going to agree with, but I, I think this could be good long term. 
Yeah, and even if Hooker is only, you know, if they get to a Jared Goff level of production, it'll be a win for Detroit because they will have a couple years of a rookie contract left for him and they won't have to pay $35 million like they're paying for Jared Goff. And then you can add two elite players at other positions to help flush out the roster. So having that quarterback on the rookie deal is, um, you know, extremely important in that situation. And Hendon Hooker, already 25 years old, kind of a bad thing if you are you know a young team that is looking to build around your quarterback long term but maybe a good thing for a team like Detroit that's probably wanting to compete in the next uh you know two to three years is kind of their window so they may have uh, prioritized an older quarterback in that situation all right let's uh let's jump over to the running backs here we've already talked about a few of these guys so we can keep them short Bijan uh, again, we talked about this before the draft. We both had him going to Atlanta, so good call on our part. Not the best case scenario for him as far as landing spot, but uh, definitely not the worst. He should see a ton of volume in a run-heavy scheme. He's the 101 in Dynasty still. Uh, if you had the 101 and you were sweating uh, Bijan's landing spot, you can uh, you know you can rest easy. This is a pretty good spot for him. Yeah, what do you feel about? Um... Bijan and, and just a redraft league. Is he is he a late first round running back? Yes. Yeah, he's probably uh yeah. he's top maybe even top five. Uh, I, I think he's just outside the top five if he's not. Yeah, a guy with this much hype. I mean, the last guy with this much hype was Saquon Barkley and his rookie season was insane. So uh Yeah, you can go back and taking Bijan. You can, you can go back, and, yeah. go back and look at all the uh the, the last ten years. Any running back drafted in the top twenty five was crushing their ADP. I think the only one that didn't was Melvin Gordon, and I'm pretty sure he uh, he had an injury year one. So pretty much if they stay healthy and they were drafted in the first round, especially the upper part of the first round, they're going to be a top 10 to 15 running back. It's just it's just guaranteed based on uh, volume, and Atlanta will certainly give that to their running backs. So uh, good for spot sure. for Bijan. Jameer Gibbs, we already discussed him, so we don't really need to flush uh, that out anymore unless you have anything to add on the Gibbs pick. Nope. Zach Charbonnet, nope, same situation. We already discussed him and the Seattle uh, running back situation. Uh, I think the only thing I would add to that is that uh, what, how far does Ken Walker fall for you? If he was a, say, a top, let's say he was a second-round pick before this, uh, where, would you, where would you think he is uh, on the board now? Um, I mean, I'm still, I would say probably third rounder, just third, uh, kind of maybe if he may hit the running back dead zone, but I think I want like, I'm going to probably, I'm going to take Ken Walker before I take Jameer Gibbs most likely a, because I want line. a guy that I've proven see, uh, see it on the NFL field as opposed to the rookie. I get that with Walker, but I feel like he's at that line now because there's a chance Charbonnet comes in. Even if Charbonnet takes 30 to 40% of the work over the course of the season, by the time the end of the year rolls around, you know, Ken Walker might be a RB two to three level player. As bad as that may sound, just the opportunity may see itself decrease that much. So, yeah, Ken, Ken Walker's a rough one right now. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll be on him if he, uh, if he falls into that uh, RB dead zone. Um, I, I just, again, I think uh, – the Seattle Seattle Seahawks needed to draft a running back. Obviously, drafting one in round two hurts because it says something about how uh, they viewed the position and you know prioritizing it as a need. But um, I just I believe in Ken Walker as a player, and I think they profile uh, Zach Charbonnet and Ken Walker profile pretty similarly. I would have almost been more disappointed if Seattle had gone out and gotten a, you know a pure third down type of back that would have just completely taken away all of Ken Walker's uh, you know receiving work, but 
Charbonnet profile similarly. I think he'll just they'll just like you said split it sixty forty by the end of the year, but that might end up working in Ken Walker's favor. Could keep him fresher uh, down the uh, down the stretch there. We'll see how it plays yeah. out, but. Uh, Kendra Miller is the next running back off the board. He went to New Orleans, uh, round three, pick 71. That's actually pretty decent capital for a running back. Kamara could be gone after this year. It would be kind of painful for New Orleans to cut him, but depending on how this uh, legal stuff plays out and uh, how he responds, uh, you know, they, they could choose to move on. Uh, so I think he's a good flyer in dynasty formats. With Jamal Williams in the building, I don't envision him having a ton of value this year, but... Uh, someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, and Jamal Williams is also an older running back. Alvin Kamara is getting older as well. So, I mean, they're going to have to have a little bit of attrition at that position over the next year to two. So, yeah, I think Miller's a great dynasty flyer pick. I mean, if you get him in uh, – I just did a rookie draft yesterday. I believe he went just after the 2-3 turn. So, I mean, if you oh, get him really? there, I think that's really good value. Wow. Yeah. He actually he got taken right before us. I I was telling Justin I I hope this guy keeps. How many teams are in that league? We twelve. Hmm. So I mean he would have been wow. like yeah pick like we're looking pick twenty something. It is a super flex. So I mean quarterbacks are definitely prioritized. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but still, I mean I, he's a he's a round two player. If you have a late round in the second, if he's there late in the second round in a rookie draft, I would I would take a flyer on. Yeah, I would I would have guessed mid to uh, upper round two, honestly, without seeing the board in front of me. Maybe that's a little high, but um, yeah, I think I think the situation sets up pretty well for him. Like you said, Kamara and uh, Williams both on the back half of their uh, prime, so it might take a year or two for Miller, but he could see a pretty sizable role if uh, you know he performs and New Orleans keeps him around. All right, this next guy is going to be a polarizing one for most. Uh, that is Devon A-Chain out of Texas A&M. He went to Miami, round three, pick 84, so just a few selections behind Kendra Miller. The fit and opportunity is here. Uh, they do have Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson coming back, but again, it's, it's similar to New Orleans. Those are both older backs. They're both on one-year deals. Uh, I think if A-Chain shows himself to be the most capable back, uh, Miami will want him to kind of take over here. But I'm just not a huge fan of the player for fantasy purposes. He's a smaller guy. He's very, very fast. So that's why he fits with the Dolphins. But I don't believe he's going to be able to handle a starter's workload. I, I find that, you know, I think he'll always kind of be that uh, 10 to 15 touch type of guy, which uh, can be valuable, but will be inconsistent for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I mean, your best hope for Devon A-Chain if you're drafting him is he doesn't play very much this year, and you just let the older running backs kind of beat themselves up a little bit, and then maybe he hits the weight room a little bit, gets a little thicker, maybe becomes more of an Austin Eckler body style, and he kind of can take a little bit more workload. That's your dream. Like, if you're taking him, that's what you're hoping happens. Realistically, yeah, he's going to fall into that, like, Tony Pollard-esque role where he's going to get 10 to 12. He's going to be a threat out of the backfield to catch the football. Um, for dynasty, he went above, uh, Kendra Miller in our draft by, I think like five to six picks. That's pretty expected. I would say, but I, I don't necessarily love the long-term value of a chain. Um, again, I think he could be a fine player in the NFL. It's just the odds of him becoming, you know, a valuable fantasy running back in a dynasty league. Like we're looking a couple years down the pipeline. And then he also kind of has to fill out a couple of other, you know, characteristics to get to that point. So. I just think he has a long road ahead of him to, uh, to be a valuable fantasy asset. Yeah, I get A-Chain going above Miller in a dynasty league for uh, for upside purposes. He certainly has that. He has the better offense and uh, probably just the better coaching staff for an offensive uh, 
know, for an offensive player, but uh, I think I might wait and take the value on Miller if that was the case. If it's a if it's a half a round later, I think I'd rather have the uh, the later pick for Miller in a rookie dynasty draft, just because I think he has the potential to be a lead back in a couple of years for the uh, New Orleans Saints. My late round sleeper, we talked about him earlier. It's uh, Deuce Vaughn. He went to the Cowboys round six, pick two twelve. Um, I have a soft spot for short running backs, and Deuce certainly fits that profile at five five. Um, I, I just think those type of guys can, you know, you can get away with being 180 pounds if you're only five, five, because if you, you know, if you, uh, if you stretch him out to five, 10, that's probably, you know, he probably has the, the thickness of a two ten two fifteen. That's a thick boy. Yes, it is. 180, <laughs> five, five. 180 pounds at five, five that you gotta be, you gotta be real thick to be 180 pounds at five, five. But I think these type of guys are also, they kind of play above their measurables a little bit because they're tougher to tackle, tougher to find in the line. And, um, you know, Deuce, so Deuce does not have the greatest, you know, 40 times and 10-yard splits and those things, but uh, their opportunity is certainly there. It's a good offense, and they have a ton of running back carries to uh, to fill in there beyond Pollard and um, I believe Malik Davis is the only other running back on that roster. So someone's going to have to take the carries that Elliott took and – Pollard coming off of that uh, fractured tibia, I don't believe is going to be a 300 plus touch guy. So Vaughn will most likely get at least an opportunity to be that guy. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, Vaughn, maybe a little uh, Maurice Jones drew, you know, by hey, style. It, it worked you know, for maybe, him. Maybe not as fast, but you know, they're, they're hard to tackle. I mean, you got to actually exactly. tackle them. You usually can't hit the short guys to the ground because they can kind of bounce around. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has, he has some uh, potential. I wanted to get your opinion on another later round running back. what do you feel about Chase Rice going to Cincinnati? Um, I got to say, I am not incredibly familiar with Chase Rice, but uh, if he went to Cincinnati, then I love the fit because there is a need there for uh, for carries. And if they cut Mixon, uh, you could be looking at, you know, a potential, you know, like a, a starting level player if he's getting even half the work in a great offense. So uh, hard yeah. not to like the landing spot there for Chase Rice. Yeah, no, that's the landing spot was literally the reason why I picked him in our dynasty league last night. Uh, we had, I think it was our third round pick. I was like, yeah, we need a running back. Of the other guys there, I was like, none of these opportunities make any sense. We just got to go with the guy who has the chance to get on the field. So hopefully Chase Rice works out. He's going to be my uh, late round sleeper guy. Chase Brown, I believe, is uh, is the name that we're looking at here. Chase Brown? Yes, that's okay. what I'm seeing. I, I just tried to do a quick uh, draft profile search, but I believe Chase Brown is uh, – at least the, Jeez. the who is the, Chase? What do I? That's Rice in my. He's a country singer. Right? That Chase I, Rice. Maybe that's what you were thinking. About. Oh, that's wild! <laughs> I think I was actually listening to a podcast with Chase Rice on it earlier today. Now oh man, I was yeah. going to say I was like, is 100%. my internet broken? Why can't Damn. I find anything about this guy? Okay, that nope. that makes me feel better. All right. All right, guys. Chase right, Brown. Don't go draft. Yeah, don't go draft Chase Rice, guys. You're uh, you will get. Uh, you know what? If you're here an hour so. into the podcast, you know, like I don't care. Like just to share the oh, podcast man. for this moment right now. If you're an hour in, you're you're one of the faithful. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, I appreciate um, it. You're welcome. If for that. Chase Brown ever makes a name for himself, we have a ready-made nickname for him on the podcast, uh, ready to go yeah. here. So. Uh, we'll see how it plays out for him. That's a nice late round sleeper as well. Uh, wide receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba was the first one off the board. Again, we have already hesh, uh, fleshed him out. So uh, if you missed it, 
Go back to earlier in the podcast. We did winners and losers talked about that situation. Quentin Johnson, we ended up touching on uh, in your loser section uh, of the Chargers wide receivers. So I won't flesh this one out too much. I guess uh, real quick, how do you feel about the overall fit here and his outlook in Dynasty going to the Chargers at uh, 121? Yeah, he would be my wide receiver three. I think I'm going to put JSN's talent up there at number two. Just hope talent uh, pans out. But I really like Quentin Johnson. I love that he's going to a Justin Herbert-led offense. I mean, you have to love it if you end up with him. And then, um, yeah, I don't think Mike Williams is a guy the Chargers are going to look to keep around after this contract uh, you know, comes to an end. I wouldn't doubt it if Quentin Johnson you know, breaks out this year if they look to try and move Mike Williams and try and move some of that money. So, you know, you're, you're kind of replacing a guy that has some injury issues. So if this guy can come in, just be healthy and be a deep threat for you, you, you got to love it if you're a Chargers fan. And from a fantasy perspective, I think he he could be a guy that comes in maybe not this year and have an impact, but in two years he could have a pretty big impact if they you know they decide to move off of a Mike Williams or something like that. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. I don't have much to add there. Uh, could be, like you said, a year or two before he really makes his mark in fantasy circles, but a pretty good landing spot overall with a great young quarterback. Hard to argue with it for Quentin Johnson. Zay Flowers was the next player off the board in the wide receiver position and in the NFL. Uh, If you've ever wondered what a run on a position is in the NFL draft, uh, (laughs) this this wide receiver run here perfectly exemplifies what that means. Uh, We had wide receivers go 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd all in quick succession. And uh, the first one off the board was 20th. So uh, the first, second, and third First, second, third, and fourth wide receivers off the board all went right in a row. Pretty funny there. Uh, but uh, Jordan Addison, uh, I'm, I'm actually – I think this will be our most extended conversation we have left here. He is the uh, he's the fourth wide receiver off the board but went 23rd overall. That's pretty decent draft capital. Uh, he comes into a fantastic situation. I'm not a huge fan of the player. Jordan Addison was definitely uh, my fourth favorite wide receiver prospect coming in, maybe even fifth behind a guy we'll talk about later. But can't argue with the situation. He has above-average quarterback play, a pass-heavy scheme, and the best wide receiver in the NFL drawing attention uh, on the other side as well as uh, a good pass-catching tight end. So. If Jordan Addison does not succeed, uh, that is you know, saying a lot about him as a prospect. He has the basically ideal situation for a rookie wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to agree with a lot of what you said, and we're already over an hour, so I don't want to kind of just dig into that some more. My only thing with Jordan Addison is you get drafted number 23, you're going to a pretty good team, everything, and like you go out for your interview, and the only thing you really say back to your interview is, let's go get paid. Let's go get paid. Like, you already got paid, bro. You're a first-round pick in the NFL. Like, let's talk about, like, let's go do – like, I don't I don't love that. Like, that's, like, the only answer he was giving in his interviews. And I was like, I just – it gives off kind of just weird vibes from a first-round pick. Like, I, he's a wide receiver. You kind of want a guy with a little bit of an edge and attitude. I get it because you want a guy to think he's the best. 100% understand that that just rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, dude, like you get all these other guys that are like, Oh, I'm so grateful for this. Yada, yada, yada. And he just rolls up there, like just fit it out absolutely perfectly. Just like, let's go get paid. I was like, damn man, what a look for you. But I think that like you said, he has a great opportunity where he's at. Yeah, I agree. The attitude is questionable, but you alluded to it. Wide receiver and cornerback are kind of the two positions. Exactly. You can sort of have that attitude because you don't necessarily need to, 
you know, you're, you're sort of on an island in a sense where you're just, you know, you're on a one-on-one matchup. you got to beat your guy. Uh, you know, if you're a defensive offensive lineman, you have that attitude you're working with four or five other guys. It's hard to say, you know, you're the one that is carrying the team. If you're a wide receiver, you kind of just have to do your thing. But I agree. The attitude is not ideal uh, for sure, but Addison is coming into a great situation. I think in redraft, he's probably my wide receiver one. Uh, what would you say? Who would, who would you take in redraft? I think I'm going Flowers first okay. just because I love his Ravens situation a little yep. bit more, but Addison's number two by quite a bit for sure. Yeah, Flowers has got higher upside too, even in redraft. I think he has the potential to be the number one wide receiver in Baltimore where Addison obviously does not have that potential with Minnesota. Yep. Uh, Jalen Hyatt was the next wide receiver I wanted to highlight. He was not the next one off the board, but my uh, fourth-rated wide receiver coming into the draft. Really like the player, and I love the pick from the Giants. This guy is all about speed. The Giants really needed a deep threat. Darius Slayton has been a super inconsistent player throughout his career, and uh, the the rest of their wide receiver core is all slot receivers. You have uh, a... I'm forgetting that Wandale Robinson, you have Wandale Robinson, you have Jameson Crowder in that building. Uh, There are a couple other names that kind of fit that bill as well. Uh, Sterling Shepard, that's the guy that's been around there forever, but they have a ton of guys that can work over the middle of the field. They need someone that can be a deep threat and he has a potential in this offense to step in and get significant targets in year one. Uh, He is a Deshaun Jackson type of player projected to go early round two, late round one. They got him in round three at pick 73. So great pick from the Giants, and I think a sleeper uh, even in redraft. Yeah, I thought this was a really good pick. I like Jalen Hyatt quite a bit. Um, Obviously, his tape's really good. I was hearing a lot of things. Obviously, Hendon Hooker fell. The Tennessee offense scares a lot of NFL teams. It does. Yeah, that was just scheme. Very vertical. Right. Yeah, so – it's very scheme heavy for him to be running a lot of deep routes, but you're right. The Giants need exactly that. They need someone that Daniel Jones can get the ball down the field to. So hopefully, Jalen Hyatt can kind of come in and just play that, play a similar role for the Giants' his rookie year and kind of develop as a deep threat. I would love it for him. I would love it for Daniel Jones and the Giants as a whole. So they need that quite a bit, and that could have been a great pick. Can't believe he fell to round three. I thought he was yeah surprise. He was round two bound in my head quite a, by. Quite a bit. I mean, even night one, people were talking about him as a potential late round, you know, sleeper in the first. So, him falling all the way to the third. Shout out to the Giants because when they didn't go any wide receivers through the first two rounds, I was definitely someone that was, you know, a little skeptical of their draft. But getting Hyatt in the third was definitely. Definitely a good move. I was scared your Kansas City Chiefs were going to take a look at Jalen Hyatt, but I think the, between the the sizable contract they've given to MBS, who kind of fits that mold, and the fact that they went uh, round two receiver last year with uh, Sky Moore, maybe pushed them off of Hyatt in uh, either the late round one or round two. But I would have uh, I would have been pretty sad if he went to KC because that could have been pretty dangerous. But the Giants really needed him, and uh, he could fill a pretty big role for them. My late round sleeper from the wide receiver position is Charlie Jones out of Purdue. He went to the Cincinnati Bengals very late round four, pick 131 overall. I'm a big fan of the player. He's not a huge guy and he does not have elite athleticism. So those are two things you kind of, you know, you want to have one or the other if you're going to be a standout wide receiver in the NFL, but he excels at contested catches and he gets to play with Joe Burrow for the foreseeable future. Could help fill a void if there is a T. Higgins departure. Obviously, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's it's crowded in that wide receiver room right now. But if Higgins were to leave after next year, if they're not able to come to terms on a contract, there could be a pretty big opportunity for Charlie Jones to step into. Good flyer in Dynasty. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know how the Cincinnati Bengals could make it possible to keep Higgins and then Burrow and then Chase back to back to back. I mean, that is just so scary to think about that from a financial standpoint. So, yeah, T. Higgins is probably on his way out, even though they don't want him to be at some point. You can't get rid of Chase. So yeah, you gotta exactly. you gotta go Higgins, unfortunately. So yeah, this is gonna be a position that hopefully Charlie Jones works out. If he doesn't, this is gonna be a team that's probably gonna be drafting that position for a while because they are currently at the pinnacle of it. I can only imagine what it feels like to roll out there with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on any given week. That's gotta be amazing. But it's gonna come to an end pretty quickly. Like it's just financially gonna be impossible to keep that level of offensive talent together. Could not agree more. Uh, Let's go ahead and touch on some of these tight ends real quick. Uh, We did already discuss Dalton Kincaid. He was the first one off the board. I think I'm a little more bullish than Cody is on his prospects, even in year one. Uh, Again, Dalton Kincaid does not really play a traditional tight end position. He is mostly lining up in the slot or even out wide for Utah. I believe he'll be a, uh, a slot guy in Buffalo and those type of tight ends can have some success in year one. Although, uh, you know, that even, even the great ones usually take a year or two to get going just because of the nuances of the position. So like Kincaid, where would long you, term. where would you be willing to draft Kincaid in a redraft? Is he a, is he a tight end that you're like, I think he could have a breakout. I'm willing to I'd, draft him. Or? Listen, I, I think, uh, I think when you're, you're looking at late round tight ends, uh, I'm, I'm fine taking him at tight end nine or 10 because the guys that are around him okay. aren't going to be winning my league most likely. So I think I can, you know, if Kincaid busts and he comes out week one or two, is only out there for, you know, 40, 50% of the snaps, fine. Cut him and then stream the position the rest of the year. But I'd like to take a shot on somebody that could be, you know, an impact player, which I believe he could be if everything breaks right for him, especially because he's in a, you know, a fantastic offense that I think needs this sort of dimension. I, I we, we did that graphic after day one of our favorite picks. Dalton Kincaid was one of them for me. I just think he brings a different, uh, you know, a different look than both Steph Diggs and Gabe Davis for this offense could be more reliable over the field, over the middle of the field target for Josh Allen. So, uh, could be good things for Kincaid, especially uh, in the next couple of years. Maybe not this one. Uh, 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 before we move on, my only concern for Kincaid, and this is what like just thinking ahead of time is when a guy like Kyle Pitts came out, he had all this hype around him. People were willing to take him so high in fantasy drafts and he never had an elite quarterback throwing to him. Like Dalton Kincaid's going to have all that. Plus Josh Allen's going to be his quarterback. So all the hate that Kyle Pitts got about not being productive. Well, a lot of that could just be attributed to his quarterback. Wasn't good enough. You can't really say that in Buffalo. My concern is Dalton Kincaid's going to get that Kyle Pitts effect and he's going to start going somewhere in drafts where it's like, I, I can't consider pulling the trigger on this guy here. So if you're in some kind of long-term drafting format and you can get Kincaid at a value, absolutely love it. Just rookie tight ends almost never pan out, and I think that there's a chance he gets a little bit of a Kyle Pitts effect and people start taking him way too early. Pitts did have 1,000 yards in his rookie year. So I want to say, I mean, he, he, was, he only scored one touchdown, so his fantasy production was not amazing, but – uh, he had a pretty successful rookie year, all in all, and I think to Josh Allen throwing you the ball and you have a thousand yards, there is less than zero percent chance that you have one touchdown. So I think I'm just trusting the quarterback, and uh, you know the Bills clearly prioritize this player, so they they have an idea of how they're going to use him. And uh, yeah, I think in dynasty, I'm all over him, and even in redraft, I'd be willing to maybe reach by a round. Unless, you know, I mean, if he's if he's going in round seven or eight, no thank you. But if he's, 
you know, if you're looking at him in round nine or 10 and you're taking a flyer on him or say, you know, uh, Greg Dulcich, I'd rather take my shot on Dalton Kincaid personally. Yeah, 100%. Um, Sam Laporta went to Detroit uh, from tight end U. That would be Iowa University. Uh, They add to the growing list of exceptional tight ends in the NFL from Iowa. George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, um, Noah Fant, to name a few. I think there's a couple others I'm not thinking of, but a lot of good tight ends coming out of Iowa. Again, I think Laporta, much more of a pass catcher, could have a role, but there is a little bit... So the waters are a little more muddy in Detroit. There's a few more options uh, to sort through. So I think this is probably one you're looking at year two or three. So take a flyer on him in Dynasty if you need a long-term tight end. But uh, I, I don't think year one is going to be a fantasy-relevant one for Sam LaPorte. Yeah, if the Eagles only draft defense out of you know Georgia and only offense out of Alabama, they should look at drafting a tight end from Iowa. Because that is the premier position to go yes. out of that school yes, by quite a bit. Their tight ends are insane. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I like Sam Laporta uh, a little bit as well. Again, for this year, definitely not. But long-term dynasty, he's probably he's probably the guy you should be looking at taking for your tight end too. Michael Meyer went to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I have Oakland here in the dock. My bad living in the past. Uh, Michael Meyer, he will never be an elite option at the position for fantasy. He does not have the uh, you know the elite athleticism of a Dalton Kincaid or the receiving chops of uh, you know some of these other guys, but he's an extremely reliable option. He provides value across the board from a tight end's perspective, so he's going to have a long career. If you need a solid option in Dynasty for a long time, Michael Myers, your guy, again, probably going to take a year or two like most tight ends because, again, he, he lines up in line. He is a traditional tight end. Can also receive uh, you know receive the ball a little bit, but not as much uh, his focus. So I think he'll be a solid option at the position, but not uh, doesn't have a ton of upside. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and on my rookie draft yesterday, I actually – Justin and I took Michael Mayer as the second tight end off the board. Uh, we already have a high ceiling guy in David Njoku. Obviously, we'll see what that Cleveland offense looks like this year, but we kind of just needed a backup plan in case Njoku you know, does not does not turn out how he plans. There's going to be an, an opportunity in Oakland to kind of make an impact from day one-ish, again, tight ends iffy, but he'll, he'll be able to develop into his role. Obviously, I'm sure they're going to be looking at some quarterbacks in the future. Hopefully, their offense maybe gets a little bit of a spark, but yeah, he's he's our tight end of the future. I hope he develops into you know a higher maybe ceiling than what's expected. But I think he's the the safer guy out of him and Laporta. But if you're a team that needs tight end, that needs you know you need a high ceiling guy. I think Laporta would be the guy to go over Mayer in that situation. Hundred percent agree. Uh, basically, all of these guys other than Meyer are fitting that bill of you know kind of long shots that have high ceilings, but could easily bust as well from a fantasy perspective. Uh, The next one here is Luke Musgrave. He went round two, pick 42, a bit of a run on tight ends at the beginning of round two here. He's a bit of a raw prospect, has not played a ton at Oregon State, uh, slightly due to the 2020 pandemic, slightly due to injury, uh, but he has a uh, a ton of raw talent. He's an eye. He's a high upside play in dynasty. I think him and Michael Meyer are kind of the the contrasting. What do you want out of your tight end position from uh, a dynasty perspective? Musgrave could be a much better receiving option than Meyer long term, but Meyer is far more likely to be a starter in five years in the league. Yep, I one hundred percent agree with you there. I guess. 
I, I don't really have too much information on the other tight end that Green Bay drafts. He's a blocker. I assume Croft is more of a blocker. He is. Okay, yeah. yeah. So just sure looking at fantasy rankings and everything, I just imagined that was the case. I didn't really have a lot of knowledge on him. But, yeah, I I mean, there's Robert Tanyan's role is going to have to be filled by somebody. Musgrave can end up becoming that guy. Again, one of those things for Dynasty, you're looking maybe two years down the road, potentially three, but very high ceiling if he does end up breaking out. Yeah, a, lot, a pretty good planning spot too. I feel like uh, Green Bay. Uh, there's, you know, obviously a lot of a lot of young options there, but not of a ton of just you know bona fide established receivers that demand a ton of targets. Musgrave has an opportunity to work himself into a, a pretty significant role in that offense, in my opinion. Last uh, tight end that we will talk about here. I could have chose a few guys here, but I wanted to highlight Darnell Washington. Uh, he went round three, pick ninety three. Pretty disappointing. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, I thought he would go closer to these other guys, maybe even high round two, mid round two. Uh, but the fact that he went this late kind of says a lot to me about what the NFL thinks about him. He is an absolute freak athlete, six, seven, two sixty four, runs a four, six for a guy that big. That is just ridiculous. His speed scores off the charts, has the raw tools to be maybe even the best tight end in fantasy, uh, in a couple years, but uh, again, the fact that he fell to pick 93 says a lot about what the NFL thinks about him, in my opinion. And the landing spot in Pittsburgh is not ideal. Pat Fryermuth is young, he's effective, and there are plenty of other wide receivers in the room uh, in an offense that's not incredibly pass-heavy to begin with. So uh, he has a very uphill battle to becoming the elite option that he could be. But if you are, you know, if you're feeling lucky and it's round two or three of your dynasty league, and you want to take a shot on a guy that has on boundless, boundless upside, uh, take your shot on Darnell Washington. Yeah, I'm actually going to take a look and see if he ended up getting drafted in our... I'm sure he did. I, I feel like he, there's probably always a guy that is the risk taker of the group because he uh, he is a athletic freak, and I mean that in oh. every sense of the word. Six seven two sixty four does not come along very often, especially yeah, that uh, especially that can move that well. But yeah, he's very, very raw from uh, yeah. you know, just a prospect perspective so yeah kind of seems like he gives off kind of chig a vibes i mean sure. Chig obviously took a little bit to develop and then once he's able once he once you kind of get out on the field if you're that much of an absolute like athletic freak show like it's going to end up showing itself as long as you have the ability to catch the football <laughs> if you if you're a freak show and you don't exactly. have hands that's yeah. when it can come back to bite you but if this guy can if he has hands he's able to catch the football move with it and he's an athletic freak. I mean, it'll end up panning out most likely in the long run. There's not a lot of guys that have insane athleticism that just don't make it work in the NFL at a skill position. Yeah, I'd probably be a little more bullish on him if he didn't end up with the uh, the Steelers. Just uh, just don't love that landing spot. Don't see a ton of paths to success without uh, a lot of injury in front of him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel well. I mean, I feel like you maybe could have said that about Chig a little bit. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, you know, clearly, goes, uh, injury happens all the time in the NFL, so it's it's possible. But uh, as as it stands on paper right now, it's a it's a it's an uphill battle for him to become a reliable fantasy option. Yeah, absolutely. So you have Travis Kelsey, and you want to draft draft a tight end for for just backup for the future. What round? What pick? Which guy are you going with? If you have one through one uh, rounds one through five, 12 picks per round, you know, which, which one would you be targeting? Depends on the rest of my roster. I mean, Kincaid is obviously the number one, but you're probably going to have to to spend a premium pick on him. And if you have Kelsey, you might not want to do that. You might want to get to somebody that can help on another position that you, uh, you know, if you're trying to win now, 
especially if you have Kelsey, you probably are trying to win now. So I think um, I like Musgrave out of this group. Uh, I just think the opportunity is the most clear and uh, Musgrave is probably not going to cost as much as uh, like a Sam Laporta. I think that would be the other guy I'd look at, um, but Musgrave can probably get a little later. Yeah, Laporta was just after we took uh, Meyer at the beginning, kind of towards the beginning of the second round. Yeah, Musgrave fell all the way to the end of the second round. There you go. So, yeah, and he's yeah, definitely forty second pick off the board. There. That's that's fairly decent capital. So clearly, the Packers uh, value the player and plenty of opportunity. There's nothing that says Christian Watson is going to be the wide receiver one or exactly. be the number one pass catching option. We got a new quarterback. It's going to probably feel like a pretty new system there. So yep. a lot of opportunities for all the Packers guys. So. All right, we got this thing rolling. We're almost at an hour and a half. Let's wrap this thing up. Boys, girls, thanks for joining us. Again, obviously, like, comment, share, all the good stuff. Leave a review on whatever uh, listening platform you're on, and we will be back shortly. We will – now that you know rosters are getting pretty finalized, we know where a lot of these top prospects are going, you can start filling in some of those rankings, start talking about who you're looking at in drafts and such. So we'll get some of that content for you guys. If there's anything like you'd like to see in particular, feel free to DM us. Let us know on socials. All that other good stuff as well. Make sure you're following all the socials also. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Throw some videos up there every once in a while. So check it all out. Appreciate y'all. Peace out. Peace.